the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak, and joining us today is Hunter Land, who is the Director of Cannabinoid Research at Canopy Growth. And Hunter, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Richard. So you joined um, Canopy a little while back, back in um, almost a year and four months ago, prior to which you were with GW Pharma and uh, also with Greenwich Biosciences. So you've been involved on the research side of the industry for quite a while, haven't you? Right. I've been in research for about 15 or 16 years and about eight years within the cannabinoid science area. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, being around the cannabinoid science research for that long, you've seen a, a seismic shift in the industry where the industry's gone from general effervescence, but um, you know, most research being very much in its infancy, and it's still, I would still say <laughs> it is in its infancy in most ways, but companies, for the most part, not paying enough attention to that side of the, uh, the equation to now more and more companies and organizations spending the time and investing into defining exactly how the cannabinoids will get used uh, along the way. How have you seen that shift? How has it affected you in your uh, move through the industry? Well, I think it's a, it was a surprising start for me, uh, first entering in, coming from more traditional research to entering in the cannabinoid science space. And certainly from a regulatory standpoint, uh, it was interesting. Uh, when I started, I remember having uh, tons of communication with the FDA and DEA. Uh, CBD at that time was a Schedule One, meaning uh, mm-hmm. had no medicinal use and um, even storage conditions required 5,000 pound safes and bolted to the floor behind multiple locked doors. And, right. and now, you know, you can, uh, you can see, find CBD in your local gas station. So there's yep. been a huge swing um, from the regulatory framework. Um, in terms of science, you know, we can see that as technologies progressed and we've applied these uh, technologies to cannabinoid science, uh, a lot of the previous knowledge has been superseded, and uh, that does make the industry a bit difficult to navigate from a scientific perspective because there's still a lot of outdated and misinformation circulating, uh, and there's not really a, a reputable source that's kind of uh, clarifying where the science stands now. Yeah, and that, that is a big problem for, I think, everybody who's serious in the industry is that, uh, you know, the disinformation that's out there and, you know, where people refer to the, you know, cannabis as being the miracle cure for every wonder in the world, which it clearly isn't. Um, it's an important part of a treatment protocol, but it isn't, you know, I don't know that it's an absolute cure for anything because it's, but it is a definitely a treatment towards a lot of things. But, you know, some of this is referred to as the mystery soup of cannabinoids and everybody talks about THC and CBD, but let's go beyond that. Because quite honestly, that's where that's where it gets interesting, in many ways, is what the future really holds, and so how little we know about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, that's one of my interests for sure. Uh, so, in the cannabis plant, we know there are at least five hundred and forty-five bioactive compounds 
Um, there can be about 200 or so odd uh, terpenoids produced by the plant. And then there's at least 120 uh, different phytocannabinoids. And, you know, when, when people say cannabis or cannabis-based treatment, you know, cannabis is not cannabis is not cannabis. Same with CBD uh, formulations, because you do have these other potential um, active constituents and how they work together or how they can uh, actually counteract or uh, be unproductive in combination is certainly an area of interest, as well as, you know, characterizing uh, a lot of these other compounds. So there's certainly uh, decades worth of work to be done. And tell me, when you're when you're doing your research and tying in, do you tie directly back to the ag team? In that, you know, the cannabinoids that are present in the plant vary during the grow cycle, and some will produce earlier and drop off. Others will develop later, and it's you know with just 11 different, if we just were focusing on 11 different compounds within the plant, we'd still have 265 billion combinations possible out of that. We're dealing with 500 plus. Um, Do you, do you map in with the agricultural team to try and isolate, you know, the right mix of compounds that you want to work against, against the growth cycle? Or how do you deal with that? Well, the growth cycle, I think, is just one component. You also have things in you know, light, humidity, soil type that all can influence mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, cannabinoid production at the beginning and end of the growth cycle. So I think it's a, a complicated mix. Uh, certainly, I do coordinate a lot of my research with the ag team uh, as well as the manufacturing team because uh, you know, what, what exists in the plant between that part and the way we can actually study it, especially preclinically, there are a lot of steps in that manufacturing process. If you're trying to isolate certain specific compounds or get a certain specific ratio, uh, there's some advanced techniques for doing that. And uh, obviously the more complicated these ratios are, the the more difficult it is to study uh, and determine what actual components are useful and which ones may be counterproductive. Yeah, and you know, you, you touch on an interesting piece there just tangentially is the, you know, all of the environmental factors will play into it as well and standardization, which is a requirement for if we're really going into pharma, is a big challenge with a plant that is so sensitive in its growth cycles and variability. Um, you know, and that's where driving down to APIs is incredibly valuable, but then you lose the, you know, you're look you're looking to recreate the profiles. Uh, for you know what people commonly refer to as the entourage effect, how how do you deal with that? How do how do you look at it? Well, I'd love to touch on entourage effect. Um, I know that uh, there's been a lot of work um, in this area. One of my colleagues and good friends, uh, Dr. Ethan Russo, uh, has focused uh, extensively in this area. And um, I think that there's been some subtle changes along the way. I think initially this was, um, it actually initially was used to describe endocannabinoids and endogenous esters and their synergy within the body and then migrated to plants Uh, And the first focus was THC plus CBD. And then gradually we started talking about these other minor components. Uh, And in certain indications, you do see that combinations, although we're not sure what ratio is ideal, but you certainly do see the benefit of of combinations. And 
I don't think this is unique to, to cannabis exclusively. Um, we see this with cancer treatments where you may use one cancer drug to restrict blood flow to, to a site of cancer and the other to uh, be toxic during cellular division. Um, it's kind of this rational polypharmacy, and that's what you can get within cannabis, but you can also get the opposite. So um, I think it is important to characterize these things. Uh, when you hear terms like CBD isolate versus broad or full spectrum, um, like you mentioned earlier, there is this mystery soup of what does that mean because you have so many combinations and their pharmacology can be so vastly different um, that, that that term itself um, you know, doesn't really equate to effect unless you know exactly what's in that mystery soup as well as uh, what what uh, levels they are. So not only what is there, but how much do you need? So I think that's where we'd like to go with Entourage and look at these additive effects. And I'm working uh, pretty closely with my team on doing some of that work with, you know, combinations of cannabinoids and very specific terpenes where you get effect. And we've seen in many cases where you actually get uh, the opposite effect of what you want because you've got two different compounds that are actually working against one another. Mm-hmm. And then we've seen massive synergies as well at much lower doses. So um, again, a lot of a lot of research uh, needs to be done in that area. I think the, the broad statements can be uh, challenging and, and possibly misinformative. No, a- absolutely. And that's that's one of the one of the challenges for the industry as a whole is there's a lot of broad-based statements which don't have a lot of backup to them, but people speak as demagogues very uh, authoritatively, and uh, that creates more problems than it's worth. It's uh, you know science is science is factual. It's not based on hypothesis. We're going to have to take right. a quick break and be back right after. But love to follow up uh, some more with regards to some of the projects that are underway and. Uh, aspects around that. So coming back in a moment with Hunter Land from Canopy Growth. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. Empire, a show dedicated to exploring the many potential therapeutic uses of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of healing and now making a heroic comeback, cannabis has the potential to promote health and well-being, bring the body back to homostasis, and foster recovery for a healthier way of living. Empire focuses on a diverse range of serious health issues, presenting views ranging from those of patients and their loved ones through those of researchers and medical professionals. Welcome to Hempire. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
SmartPots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, SmartPots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? SmartPots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million SmartPots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with Hunter Land from Canopy Growth. And Hunter, just before the break, we're talking a bit about, you know, the different aspects of uh, the combinations. And, you know, obviously today COVID is on everybody's mind and it's going to be on everybody's mind for a long, for quite a long time. Um, one of the things that keeps coming up and we see, you know, comments in different magazines and papers is the anti-inflammatory effects of CBD and does it help? with the lungs during COVID. And of course, there's no proof. There's no scientific basis yet for that. How long will it take for there to be testing to enough data for people to actually be able to say, yes, there is an implication or it's not consistent? Mm. I think the the duration of time that it'll take um, is, is a difficult question. I, I don't think that we'll have those information or those data before we actually have a vaccine. I think there is, you know, a lot of interesting speculation about how cannabinoids, especially CBD, could be used. We do have preclinical data that uh, it may be effective to reduce things related to what's termed the cytokine storm. So there are these compounds, inflammatory compounds like uh, IL-1, IL-6, and TNF-alpha that seem to be um, counterproductive and even some other existing therapies going into researching the reduction in those compounds uh, so your body actually isn't overreacting to exposure to the virus. Um, But again, these are preclinical models in animals and what happens when you put it in a human and can you actually drop these levels too low um, and then actually be counterproductive because it is your immune system and they are playing a role. So where is the therapeutic range for reduction how much should you take? Can you take too much and then have a greater risk or um, not enough and, and actually do nothing? So uh, finding both utility and that therapeutic window uh, is, a, is a difficult thing and probably would take years to study um, as well as you would probably have difference between patients. So I don't think that there's enough data. I, I would not personally base, uh, you know, taking this therapy off of rodents and different models not associated with COVID to assume that this is a, a, a cure-all or even a potential therapy at this point. Well, and I agree. And, you know, when I read the, when I've read the articles, I, my, I thought back to the start of the pandemic and one of the piece of information that was flying around there was to avoid ibuprofen. Uh, because it would have the negative effect on the lungs, which one would expect with an anti-inflammatory. And it just shows how little we know and understand just about the effect. And if we're, you know, why would one anti-inflammatory not work versus another? And uh, too much hypothesis, and it's people's lives at risk. So I'm glad. Right. Uh, yeah. 
but it's, you know, also reassure, it's reassuring to know the timeline, even if it's years, as opposed to hoping it's just around the corner. Yeah, I don't think that's there, I, but I do think that we could look at it more broadly there along with other cannabinoids. I mean, we know that some of these have antimicrobial effects. Uh -huh. uh, CBG, for example, has been studied in MRSA along with some of these other cannabinoids. And, you know, that's probably one reason that they, they actually reside in nature. I mean, these are compounds produced by a plant um, that don't seem to be uh, important in, in any other process other than uh, plant survival uh, protective mechanisms. So it doesn't surprise me that these compounds can function as antimicrobial. Um, now, once you apply that to humans, uh, and again, COVID is a virus, so you're talking about different, um, different utilities there in, in itself. But I do think broadly for things like inflammation, uh, pneumonia, something like uh, in those areas, it could be uh, an interesting treatment to study. I don't think it has antiviral properties uh, in terms of I don't think you're going to take this and it's going to denature uh, mm -hmm. the viruses systemically. So um, maybe some supportive uh, immune health or reduction and over over uh, exacerbation, but but not directly on the virus. Well, and that goes back to the you know the earlier statement. It's it's not a miracle cure. It doesn't resolve a disease, but it does. It is part. It can be part of a treat course of treatment for certain things. And in this case, we just don't know yet. Right. Um, you know, and that that actually leads into the whole pharmacology issue, which is doctors themselves. You know, in Canada, they for the longest time they just wrote a prescription for cannabis without any you know particular dosage because they just didn't know but they knew you know the patients were asking for it and it helped um but it was up to patients to really self-administer in many ways which is the an anathema to most doctors who want to be able to prescribe a set dosage and have uh, clear you know dosage delivery systems they love the capsules are great because they know there's always going to be 20 milligrams in this particular capsule with your work um you know, obviously, as you as you have success, like you did at, at GW, had success bringing the molecule, uh, you know, Epidiolex to market and Canopy. You're working through different aspects. How how are you approaching, or how are you planning, or do you even get involved in planning the doctor education portion of that? Because that that really is where, you know, the cannabis based medications become mainstream, is when the doctors know and understand how to how to use it and deliver it. Yeah, so that is a, a big issue, and I think it's a, a, a evolving issue. There are universities now that are incorporating cannabinoid science into um, their specific divisions. I know University of Wisconsin um, has been uh, developing a cannabinoid education, uh, I guess, part of their program for pharmacology. Some um, medical schools are starting to do this. I made a, a big push for this because it's used so broadly, um, but there really hasn't been uptake. You know, I think ideally having this information, uh, the data out there um, being added to state board exams for healthcare practitioners, uh, it would be uh, a huge help to the community. It just, the uptake has been really, really slow and I'm not sure I understand why, given its uh, its broad use. So I think we'll get there, um, but we're not there, and I don't expect this to be there for probably the, at least the next five years. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting because I have spoken with 
people who are recent graduates of different medical schools and some were exposed to the, the ETS and explained and others, it was barely covered or, you know, didn't, there was nothing really there. And, you know, that goes to a standard of care. It goes to all sorts of things and uniformity, but, you know, it's still a very political question. When, is there any other major organ or system in our body which doesn't get uniformly covered across medical schools, the way the, the endogenous cannabinoid system is sometimes ignored and sometimes covered? Yeah, hard to say. Um, to my knowledge, um, most of the, um, you know, from a pharmacology perspective, most of the drugs are uh, in, in those mechanisms, as well as potential drug-drug interactions, uh, metabolism are covered. Um, I think uh, cannabis and cannabinoids has largely been ignored. Um, there's probably some other psychedelic or Schedule One uh, drugs that are probably ignored for the most part because they're drugs of abuse and not thought up as, mm -hmm. as therapeutic agents. So I, I think there could be things like ayahuasca and psilocybin that are ignored as well. Um, but certainly cannabinoids um, seems to be a resounding, given the broad use, I think seems to be a, a resounding gap in the education. Yeah, it's it's a shame too, because it is a major, the UCS is such a major organ inside our body and for there to be a black hole of ignorance in some medical schools with regards to the teachings, it's just a disservice to the students and, of course, to the future patients. You know, even if you, even if you don't like it, be aware of it. Um, I think should be it's like everything else. Otherwise, it's history. History forgets. So we have to take another break. We'll come back in a moment. Love to chat with you about some of your work with Ethan Russo and uh, movement towards quality controls and projects underway. We'll be back in a moment with Hunter Land from Canopy Growth. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Hi, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life and I have Hernanda Umana joining me. We're just both so fascinated with how much we've learned since we've been in this pet industry and creating an all natural product. Because it's a dog's life. I am a huge fan of my guest today, Dr. Bob Goldstein. I have, in my experience, not seen many natural substances produce the results that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on. It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. One, two, one. 
fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really one toke over the line. I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back with Hunter Land again with uh, Canopy Growth, and he's, of course, the director of cannabinoid research there. And Hunter, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we've been chatting about and chatting around is some of the quality controls um, that do and don't exist within the industry. And, you know, each one of the challenges for this industry, which developed very rapidly, um, in the last few years and then hit a bit of a brick wall, but it continues to develop is, is standards. And there's no uniform international standards because there isn't an international uh, protocol in place. So every country tends to be a bit different. The medical standards are obviously much more strict in uh, certain jurisdictions than the recreational, like in Canada, uh, actually in every jurisdiction, but medical itself also varies dramatically from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. How does that, how does that impact you and your work? The fact that medical isn't consistent in its definition. Yeah, I think it's a bit scary. I mean, uh, one, you know, we want patients um, if they are being prescribed uh, medical cannabis to get a consistent product and for them to have an idea about dosing, um, as well as you know, making sure that they're taking this consistently, like with food, so they get consistent levels. Um, but uh, then you have kind of this other big issue is uh, contamination. Um, as you know, uh, cannabis is a phytoremediator. It can soak up contaminants in the soil, especially heavy metals. And mm-hmm. we planted cannabis at uh, Chernobyl to help with uh, fallout. And if you're not having uniform standards about quality, um, then you risk you know, seeing some uh, exposure to pesticides and metals uh, and then possibly complications down the road that then again, you know, are attributed to cannabis use and it may be something uh, altogether different. And we've seen some of that in, in the industry broadly. There was the, the vape uh, scare where mm-hmm. some of these compounds were calling this mis- causing this mysterious lung illness. And it turned out it was an additive that's commonly used in foods, vitamin E acetate, um, but that hadn't been looked at in vapes. So safe to swallow and consume, but not to inhale. Um, and those kind of gaps, I do think, are scary without doing safety testing to ensure, you know, not only are you getting what's labeled, but you're also getting something that's free of contaminants. Yeah, and isn't it really boiled down to at this point that the, you know, the federal government in the U.S. is doing a huge disservice to the citizens by not uh, regulating it to a national standard for purity and leaving it on a state-by-state basis and all also potentially opening up every one of the industry participants to liabilities in the future as standards are, uh, you know, as legalization happens and everybody looks backwards to what was done. 
yeah, I've seen countless reports of cannabis having, you know, 200 times the amount of organophosphate-based um, pesticides uh, mm-hmm. that, than what's allowed in an apple, for example. And some of these products are, you know, begin, being given to an elderly or even pediatrics. Um, and, and it's just scary to see that. And I'm not aware of, you know, any other area where you don't have some sort of uniform testing where they say you can use this to this level on this product and it needs to be tested and consistent. So uh, the FDA is currently deliberating around dosage, like what's a safe dose for a supplement. Um, However, you know, in the meantime, they certainly should be coming out and saying these products are not allowed in these cannabis products until uh, or these uh, pesticides or adulterants aren't allowed and then next we're coming up with with what's the safe dose so um, I do think that's a, a big concern from my standpoint yeah and you know I look at it also you know I'm, I'm up in Canada and here we've got the federal legalization which was put in place but the national uh, system for distribution is a mess and you have dispensaries operating which are not really licensed, but everybody presumes that because we have federal legalization, it's all safe products and people are buying products that are not tested, taking them home and consuming them without an understanding that if it's not a tested product, they don't know what they're getting. And And uh, what damage are they doing, right? They're trying to help themselves in the long term. They may be more damaged than good. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've been and spent a lot of time in Canada and I know that there's a big black market. You know, there's some services where, you know, cannabis products can be delivered to you and there's mm-hmm. even apps that are, that, that are uh, functional to, to help connect you to these products. And in the U S there's still a huge black market. There's been, uh, there've been a lot of drug busts in California and national forests where the cartel is still growing cannabis mm-hmm. and they're using the super toxic uh, pesticides, and that's getting into the supply chain of CBD products and cannabis products across the United States, and and some of these are incredibly harmful. So, uh, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of lot of work to do on the regulation standpoint. We do up here. The challenge is the Hell's Angels are heavily involved, and you know they're they're looking to make their revenue, not worrying about you know the health of the consumer in the long run, and that's. Sure. Uh, that's just unfortunate because the government's missed its opportunity to, to manage it properly. Um, we have to take another break, but we're going to be back. This, uh, this is a two-part special with regard to the Green Peak. Uh, there was so much to discuss with Hunter that we uh, decided to make it a two-parter. So we're going to take what for us is a break, but for everybody else will be a week. And uh, we'll be back with Hunter Land for the second part of this conversation after the break. I'm Richard Zwicky. Thanks for listening today and look forward to following up on the second half with you next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.